I, I understand that there's some New Yorkers here. So, Rochester, Syracuse, yeah. Skinny Atlas. Where else? Yeah. Where? Yeah. Manhattan, yeah. Messina. <laughs> Everyone's like, where's Messina? It's way up at the top. It's on the Canadian border. It's a little border town. It's where, where I grew up, and my wife is from Syracuse, from Cicero. Yeah, so that's cool. I feel like I'm with, with some like, New York peeps. <laughs> um, I moved here from Messina, upstate New York, 11 years ago with my family to start a church. I didn't know what I was doing. I kind of spilled up on what I'm doing. But 11 years ago, my wife Michelle and, and I had four kids uh, moved here. One of my kids is here. <laughs> like in the he's, an RUF, he's an RUF uh, person. Yeah, like I was thinking about saying RUF, or that sounds so bad. <laughs> like I said, like, what do you guys call yourselves? RUF fan? Uh, uh, ruffians. Oh, I like that. <laughs> But when we moved here to start a church, I, I didn't know a thing about starting a church. I didn't have a plan or a strategy. And, and there were two college students that came with us. And I'm not sure why. I remember talking to them, like, hey, I'm moving to Vermont to start a church. And they're like, oh, tell us about it. Like, do you have, what, what's your plan? I'm like, I don't know. Like, do you have, like, do you know people? Do you have a building? Like, I don't know. I don't know. When are you going to start? I don't know. What is it going to look like? I don't know. Yeah, but they came, which is really weird. My family had to come. Judah um, <laughs> was seven when we came. But I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anyone here. I didn't have a plan or a strategy. Everything that church planting, like, network and courses and classes tell you to do for a church plant, I didn't. I did the opposite. <laughs> like, I didn't do any fundraising. Uh, I didn't do a soft launch or get critical mass or do a hard launch. I did no marketing. I did no networking. I just didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember when we, when we got here, we bought this little house in Wilson, and some friends helped us move. And we unloaded with the U-Haul truck, and then they drove it away. And I just looked at my wife, Michelle, like, we just, what? We just do? Like, we're here. Well, how do we do this? Do we stick a sign on our yard that says, hey, I'm here to start a church, come talk to me? Like, I didn't know what we were gonna do or how we were gonna do it. I, I knew that, like, I was hopeful that Jesus was with us. And there was, a, there, there was a lot of times when I was like, you're with us, right, Jesus? Because it felt like we had taken this huge risk to come over here and, and start this church. And have you guys ever felt like that before where you took a risk? Because you wanted something new, you felt like God was like wanting to do something new with you and, and you, and you, you, you took a risk, and you were kind of just unsure. The next few years after we moved here, it was really hard. Because we didn't know what we were doing, it was really slow. I was working like a bunch of jobs just to try to make ends meet, but it wasn't enough to pay the bills or like buy groceries, so we had to go into debt. And I was like, Jesus, you're with us, right? Like... I, I kind of banked everything on this hope that, that God would be with us. And, and, and there were a lot of times when I was like second-guessing myself. My wife would come to me like, God told, that, like God told us, right, to come here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure. I think so. <laughs> have, have you guys, let me ask you this question. Have you ever hoped or believed for something and felt like it was an inch away from collapsing in on you? 
Like maybe maybe you hoped that this semester was gonna be like smoother than the last semester. And then you're like, oh dang, it's not. It's worse. <coughs> or maybe you, you had this job opportunity and you were really excited for it because it could change your circumstances, it could set you up a little bit, and then it didn't materialize. Or you, you, were, you found this relationship and you were really hopeful and really excited about it and you put your heart and soul into it and you were really vulnerable and you were clicking and connecting until you weren't and then it just like fell apart. Um, I, had, I, had, I had a friend pass away last week because of cancer and I was hoping that she would recover. I was hoping that she would get better, but she didn't. Hope is risky business. Isn't it? Because when you hope for something, you're putting yourself out there. When you hope for something, you're, you're running the risk of being let down <coughs> and disappointed. And, and you're not careful about disappointment can quickly turn into cynicism. And, and cynicism is something that you and I retreat to to protect ourselves from disappointment. Because none of us are born cynics. Right? You notice, you ever see kids that just like believe everything? You know, they believe Barney Barney, they believe cynical, they just believe everything that's like good and right, and they're not cynical about anything. But what happens is all of a sudden they're let down. They're disappointed, like, wait a second. You mean there's no Santa Claus? Everything is alive, been living a lot. Okay. Okay. I just talked on the phone to but, but all of us kind of battle with cynicism and disappointments, right? And tonight, um, we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke. John told me you guys were walking through the Gospel of Luke. And tonight, you guys are on chapter 24. So I was reading chapter 24. And there's this passage where two of Jesus' friends had had their hopes just like dashed to bits. Because they were believing that their friend Jesus was going to changed their lives. They thought that he was the one, the Messiah, the person who was going to redeem Israel, liberate them from Roman oppression, and give them a, a, a new start, just a new life, just something different. But Jesus was crucified and buried, and all their hopes were kind of buried with it. They're kind of like, man, what, what happened? And so in Luke chapter 24, it starts out, that three days after Jesus is killed, we read about three women who are going to the tomb. And they're going to anoint Jesus' body for burial, which is something you did back then. You had spices and just kind of like it's a way of honoring the deceased. But when they got to the tomb, it was empty. And there's two angels, and they tell these three friends of Jesus, he's risen. He's conquered the grave. He's alive. And so they run back and they tell the other disciples and Peter and John run to the tomb, right? And Peter says, oh yeah, the, the tomb is empty. But then it, there's kind of like this mystery because nobody knows where Jesus is. It feels like kind of like a rumor, like, well, maybe he's alive, but where is he? Nobody can find him, which is so strange, right? You would think that if there was a resurrection, like he'd be like popping up to everybody right away, like especially all the important disciples, and the next thing we read in Luke's gospel is it shows us two of Jesus' friends, and they're walking on this road, and they're heading to a place called Emmaus. And Emmaus, it was probably their hometown. It was a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem where they were, and it's three days after Christ is, is 
been crucified and buried, and they're walking this seven-mile road back to Emmaus. And as you can imagine, they're disappointed. They're disillusioned. They thought Jesus was the Messiah, the one who was going to save them, change their lives forever, but it didn't work out. So they're going back home. They're going back to what they know. Because see, when you're like confused and disappointed and disillusioned, you always just go back home. You go back to that thing that you know that feels like, at least I know this. But they also heard this rumor of resurrection. And you can kind of like just imagine these guys, because they're walking down the road, and, and Luke tells us they're really downcast. And even though there's a rumor that Jesus is alive, they just quite can't get their hopes up again, because they can't risk being disappointed. You guys ever been there before? Like you hoped in something, and it just like collapsed on you, and like, man, like, I don't know if I can hope for that again. It's just like too much. It's too risky. And while they're walking and they're talking, Luke tells us that Jesus appears to them in resurrected form. And he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And and they don't recognize it's Jesus. So they don't know. They just think it's some stranger. Uh, And they're kind of just being like downcast and a little bit skeptical and cynical of like everything they believed in and everything that they've been watching and hearing Jesus do. And then in verse 17, it says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? He gets that like, kind of snarky. You ever notice when people are upset, like they get a little snarky? Like, you ask them a question, hey, what are you doing tonight? Well, do you care what I'm doing tonight? You don't ever ask me. Right? You're like, whoa, dude. I'm just asking you, what are you doing tonight? But, like, sometimes when we get upset, we get a little ornery, right? And that's Cleopas. Like, this Jesus, he, they don't, he doesn't know it's Jesus, but he comes and hey, what are you guys talking about? He's like, what, are you the only one? Do you live under a rock, man? Like, Jesus was murdered. He was brutally killed. And, and verse 21 says this. He told Jesus, even though he didn't know it was Jesus, he said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He did these miracles. He taught with authority. We banked everything on the hope that he was the one. But he's gone. So we're going back to Emmaus. Back to the only thing that we know. And we heard... And they tell Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, but they tell him, we heard a rumor uh, this morning that his tomb was empty, but nobody's seen it. So we don't know, like, we just can't handle this anymore, so we're just going back. And I'll tell you why this is one of my favorite uh, stories in this gospel. One, Jesus didn't let the cat out of the bag. Like, he saw their pain and disappointment, but he didn't, like, guys, it's me, ta-da! It's me, I'm alive, Woo! He doesn't do that. Um, and I know it's me, but I kind of like that Jesus did that. <laughs> because uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I know who my best friends are because they mess with me. Like, you don't, kind of, you don't mess with people who are kind to your friends because then they just think you're a jerk, right? <laughs> if you're kind of friends with somebody, you don't really want to mess with them. But if it's your real friend, you can mess with them, and it's like a mirror. Right? I love that Jesus is kind of messing with them a little bit. <laughs> like, he knows, and he's like, oh, I can tell him. And, and they're, like, all upset. And, but you can tell, like, he's, he's friends with these guys. 
The second reason I love this passage is because the first people Jesus went to see after his resurrection was a guy named Cleopas and someone who doesn't even have a name. These were not A-list disciples. We don't, we don't read about them planning any churches. They didn't write any of the Bible. In fact, the only mention of Cleopas we have in all scriptures is just this one passage. And the friends with them, they don't even know his name. I love this about Jesus. That he didn't care about Cleopas' resume. He didn't think, like, well, you know, Cleopas isn't going to write any scripture. He's not going to plan any churches. Maybe I should go see, like, Peter, James, and John first, because they're, like, the important disciples who everybody knows. They're going to be, like, the world shakers. But it, the scripture tells us this, that God's no respecter of persons. And he proves it here. Because Jesus, he says, no, wait, Peter, James, and John, all the other disciples, they can wait because Cleopas and his friend are really distraught. I don't care about their resume. I don't care how impressive they are. I don't care about what they're going to accomplish in life. I just care about them. Man, I love that about Jesus. Because when I think about people, like we live in a, just a world where, you know, we have this value scale of people. And there's people who accomplish stuff and they're really important. And then there's people who, you know, they, 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 people might not know their name. <laughs> or they're like Cleopas, you know, just not, not A-list. But Jesus says, I don't care about that. I just care about them. And he goes to them. I love that about this. He sees them walking this weary path. And he's like, man, I'm going to just be with And then he does something really surprising. Jesus finishes this seven-mile walk with them. Now, we don't know like, when he joined them in the journey. But we know it was a long walk. Because Luke tells us that while he's walking, he starts with Moses. And he goes through all the prophets, talking about what they said about the Messiah, coming Messiah. So it was a long walk. And my first question is, like, why didn't Jesus just cut to the chase, make the most of, he's got to make the most of his resurrection appearances. Like, there's only a few, right? You think, like, if I was Jesus, I would, like, come, I'd be glowing. I would be like, we're going to have a tent meeting, get the whole town I would have advertised it. I would have took a picture of me levitating, like two feet off the ground. Underneath it would be like, hashtag I'm back. Hashtag I told you. <laughs> Thus, like, I would want everyone to come. I want to maximize my potential because, because man, I'm, in resu- I'm resurrected. And I told everyone I was, I was the son of God. And like, I got to make the most of this. But what I love about Jesus, he didn't do any public appearances. He just went to his friends. He's like walking a seven-mile journey with these guys just because he cares about them. He's just talking to them. He's spending time with them. He's not rushing. He's not like, hey, listen, guys, I'm here, I'm back, look, here I am. I got to go. I got people to see, things to do. I got important people I got to go talk to. No, he's just like, no, I'm not even telling them to me. I'm just going to hang out because I just really like these guys. I'm going to hang out with them and walk this journey. And I love this because... As they're walking and talking, Luke tells us that Cleopas and his friend, their hearts are burning while they're walking and talking. They're just sensing something special is happening, but they don't know what it is. Have you guys ever had that happen before? Where like, you can sense, like, man, something, I don't know what this is, but like, God's like, I don't know. 
He's like stirring something in, inside of me. And they get to Emmaus, and look what happens. Verse 28. This is a crazy part of the story. I can't even believe this. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Emmaus, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. He just like keeps walking. They don't know it's him. And he's walking with them, and he's like, okay, God, see you. He just keeps walking. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. Luke tells us that they're having dinner together. And Jesus takes some bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And their eyes are open like, whoa, whoa. It just triggered something like, oh, last supper. Like, oh, remember? Oh, my God. You're Jesus. <laughs> and then Luke tells us, he vanishes. And they, they get up and they run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell their friends. What happened? Now, I, I want you to imagine something me. Imagine if Jesus was continuing to walk and they never stopped him to urge him to stay. They would have missed one of the most holiest moments of their entire lives. The moment that Jesus had revealed himself to them and showed up. Can you imagine? Because you think, like, I'm not really important. My friend here doesn't even have a name. And, and like, why would you just, like, walk with us all this way and, like, talk with us and have dinner with us? Like, and all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, whoa, that was him. He just came to us. Like, we're here in Emmaus. He came here. He should be in Jerusalem with all the important people. Like, that's crazy. They would have missed one of the most incredible experiences of their lifetimes. See, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that you and I let way too many heartburning moments pass us by. You know what I mean by that? What I mean by a heartburning moment is like, you know, these guys are talking to Jesus, their heart's burning within them. And, and it's when you sense God's doing something special, and you're not quite sure what it is. And, you know, you, you, you're uncomfortable. <laughs> you have a heartburn. I remember I had heartburn like most of my life and I didn't even know what it was. And then somebody told me about it, I'm like, that's what I have. I have heartburn. So I bought like tons of Rolaids and Tums. Yeah. And I just like pop and bananas too help. And I'm just like popping them away from the light. I'm like, oh, can't get this going away. I think sometimes we let heartburn moments pass us by and we pop excuses like Rolaids just kind of get rid of it. You know, like we go to retreat. And we have this something special. Like God just does something in our heart there. And we're kind of like, wow, this is great. Something, what is this? But then like we come back from retreat and we say, oh, I thought that was God. You know what? Like I was just really tired probably. I was just really emotional. I had a lot going on. Because that feeling kind of goes away, right? That heartburning moment just like passes by. And we're kind of like, we kind of just excuse the way. Like, oh, you know, like I, I just, I probably just like, I don't know. I probably just, I was in a weird place. I don't think that, I, I thought that was God, but maybe it's not. And we fail to recognize that Jesus is with us and he's wanting to like, dude, show us something. And if you hear me say anything tonight, just remember this. Don't let your heartburning moments pass you by. When they happen, don't dismiss them. Pay attention to them. But that's God. He's trying to show himself to you. I, I, I can tell you this, that I'm, the reason I'm here today, just in Vermont and not in New York, is because I paid attention to a few heartburning moments. Ones that I just refused to let by. Like, I, just, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't tell you what was happening, but I just felt like God wanted to show me something. He wanted to reveal himself to me. And I was like, I was just stubborn. I was like, Jesus, you, 
don't leave. Like, I feel like this is really important. You want to show me something. So stay for dinner with me. Uh, because I, I, I feel like we just let so many of those pass by. In this road of church planning and pastoring that I've been on, there's been a lot of discouraging steps along the way. You know, I'm just downcast thinking, like, man, like, you know, just something really sad will happen in my church. Like, my friend passed through cancer or, you know, uh, there's just, there's just all kinds of disappointing things. But I've always had this sneaky suspicion that Jesus is walking with me. And I'm just stubborn. I just don't, I don't want him to let me go. I'm like, Jesus, you can't go. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I feel like Cleopas. And I just need, like, his hope and his resurrection life. And, and every time I do that, I get a fresh revelation of who he is and I'm filled with hope. And so here's, here's what I, how I want to end. Because I really believe that every single person here, whether you know it or not, myself included, have either walked in Emmaus Road before or are currently walking in Emmaus Road. Because life is full of tender journeys and disappointments. You're thinking like, this guy's a pastor, he should be more positive. No, I'm positive. Life is full of disappointments <laughs> and tender moments. Like, it just is. Like, it's going to happen. But here's the good news of the gospel. That's when Jesus shows up. And sometimes we don't even recognize him. But he's there. He's there with us. And so it's really important for us to pay attention to all the heartburning moments we have because they're special. Don't let them pass you by. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, I am on the main road right now. Like, the semester just didn't turn out like I hoped it would. And my life in general isn't going the way that I had planned. <laughs> and maybe you can feel your hope. You're just like an inch away from like stuff caving in on you. And you have like a nagging disappointment with God. But what if Jesus wants to throw over this break? Like walk up beside you unexpectedly. You don't even know it. Just to like fill you with hope and to show you who he is. And to give you a, a hope in the future. And you just come like running back. But here's what you gotta do. You gotta constrain him to stay when you have that moment. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how I do it. Two, there's two things I do. Whenever I have a heart-burning moment, like I feel like, oh man, God wants to show him something. God wants to like, to like show me something I'm supposed to step into and I feel like a sense like he's with me. Uh, here's the two things I do. Number one, just like Cleopas had his friend, to walk with and talk with, I find a friend to talk with and walk with. So I feel like if God's burning something in my heart, like, I, I feel like, no, like, if Cleopas needed a friend to journey with, chances are I do too. And I just need someone to, to talk to about it. Like, hey, I really feel like God's stirring my heart. And it's crazy, but I just want to tell you. I just want to tell someone you can trust, right? And the second thing that I do is I pray and ask Jesus to stick around. I'm pretty stubborn about it. <laughs> because I'm convinced of this. He wouldn't have shown up if he didn't want you to invite him to stay. Mm -hmm. I bet you when Jesus was walking by and they got to Emmaus, they're like, hey, he's like, see you later. I bet you Jesus was like, oh. 
fun. And you came all this way and just walked some miles with you. I just want to show you something. And then they're just they're just kind of kind of bold, like, hey, stay with us. Something's going on. It's like, stay with us. See, I think that when Jesus gives us those heartburning moments, he wants us to be like, hey, stick around. Don't let me just pop a roll aid and get rid of this. Don't let me just excuse this away. Because he wants to reveal himself. Because he cares about us. Not because we're going to accomplish anything great or we're impressive. He just cares about us. And so can I just pray for us all? All right, let me pray. God, I feel like I, I walk down the Emmaus Road all the time. That I, I don't know what I'm doing a lot. And um, I just have this sense that you're with me. I have this hope that you're with me. And sometimes I get let down by that because it doesn't materialize the way that I want it to. But what I'm most thankful for, God, as we go into this Thanksgiving is that you have never left. That you are there even when I don't recognize you. And you're caring and you just want to be with me. You want to reveal yourself to me. You want to just renew hope every time I, I face a disappointment. God, I pray for my friends here who maybe there aren't an amazed road. And they want to believe in resurrection. They want to believe that you love them, that you have a plan for them, but they've been disappointed and let down so many times that it's really hard. So Jesus, I ask that, you, that over this break, that you would come up beside them in an unexpected way and reveal yourself to them. Fill them with hope. Lord, let, let them see that you are with them and that you care about them. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, your resurrection life would just have it flood their soul and that they would finish this year out running back to what you have. Lord, this is something only you can do. No human can do it. So we know if it happens, that it's special. So I pray, Lord, that, that the heartburning moments that we have, that none of them would pass us by, we would grab a hold of them and say, and just constrain you to stay with us. Just thank you for being so faithful to us, so kind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.